Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Hey, everybody. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us today here on the Best Ever You show, which is broadcast from Maine, which is going to have, I think Maine is going to be under a severe thunderstorm watch pretty soon here. I'm looking outside. I went up to the baseball field. It stormed last night a little bit and today, and boy, I don't know, the weather's looking kind of sour here, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I just want to welcome you, and thank you so much for listening. Grab your coffee, your tea, your water, your chocolate milk, your energy drink, just no beer or anything like that while we're on the radio here, but sit, stand by, grab it, and chat with us for a while, because I have author Ann Garvin with us today, and she's awesome, and I'm just meeting her. This will be my first time really talking to her in depth, but um, how this all came about was I got her book. I like you just fine when you're not around in the mail um, to review. And I have just started a new division of the Best Ever You Network called Best Ever You Books. It's at besteveryoubooks.com. And I thought, you know, I, I just really want this book on this on the website and radio show, and I want Anne here. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to reach out. She might be too big for to actually be on Twitter, but she actually was there. It was so cool. So I tweeted her and I said, I really love your book or whatever I said. And, and she answered back, and so how cool is that? That was just a few days ago, and now she's here. So we both are enjoying the power of Twitter. And um, just bring Anne, how are you today? I'm great. It's so fun to be here. I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you. I'm so glad you reached back, too, because that's, that's how it all goes round and round, don't you think? <laughs> I do. I love Twitter. It's like a party that goes on constantly, and whenever you sort of jump in, you get to be a part of that party, and I love it. Yeah, it's so much. It's so much fun. What um, what part of the country are you calling us from today? Are you I'm, in, are you in Wisconsin? Yeah, I'm in Wisconsin. Yeah. Huh. I I was raised in Iowa. Oh, you were. And born in Minnesota. Oh, I went to school in Minnesota. There's Did you like where did you go to school in Minnesota? In uh, Duluth, Minnesota, I went to the College of Saint Scholastica because my first degree was in nursing, and I I was nurse. Um, and awesome. I got my degree there. So, and I went I, from my whole. I, go go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I lived in um, on the East Coast and then New Jersey for many years, and then we moved to the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and then I went to school in Minnesota. So I'm solidly a Midwestern girl now, I think. Yeah, I, I'm a Midwestern girl at heart on the East Coast right now. But yeah, I um, I spent a lot of my childhood summers on Lake Vermilion. Oh, by Duluth I know. And, and all yeah. that. Yeah, that's yeah. like in Virginia, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right in Virginia, Minnesota. Oh, it there. Yeah. The, yeah, it's beautiful up there. Maine, and that's kind of the beauty of Maine. Maine is like living in northern Minnesota year-round, only it's got the ocean also. It, it looks exactly oh, it like northern Minnesota here. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I used to spend Maine. my childhood vacations in Maine. Oh, you did? I see. Yeah. This is meant to be. Maine is very cool. Yep. What part of Maine did you go to? Booth Bay Harbor. Oh, that's one of my favorite spots. They have, um, I know we're chatting on and on about nothing but the book here, uh, nothing about the book, but Booth Bay Harbor has, if you get a chance to come back, um, they have built beautiful Booth Bay Gardens. 
There is a oh. beautiful garden area there. Look it up on the internet. Oh. It's gorgeous. Oh, oh I will. Gorgeous. I love me. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. My husband and I go up there for anniversaries and stuff and just walk around in the garden. It's oh, a Booth Bay Botanical Garden or something like that. Yeah, beautiful. Anyway, yeah. all right. So, Miss Ann Darvin, as I <laughs> finally put the R in your name. Oh, my God. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's proof that it's really actually me. It wouldn't, I'm the queen of typo land, and yeah, there it is. Um, oh, okay, so me. you were a nurse for many yeah. years. You put yourself through mm-hmm. grad school. And mm-hmm. then um, tell me about that whole experience and then your mom and how this all plays into what it is that you've written here. This is a really well, neat book. Yeah, I, was, um, I went to nursing school, and then I, um, I was working at the VA hospital in neuro and ner- neurosurgical nursing. And, and then I went into general medicine nursing, and so I kind of worked in all different types of nursing. But towards the end of it, when I was getting – I decided that I wasn't the best kind of nurse, which is the kind of nurse that's really good with details. <laughs> I'm not really that kind of nurse. And so while I loved working with the patients and I really loved making people feel better, some of the detailed kind of work really ground me down. Like just writing down everything that you have to do was kind of exhausting for me. So I started to think that maybe, and the other part of it was I would see these people who came in with, that were, you know, fairly unhealthy, and then they were almost made more unhealthy because they laid in bed all the time and they seemed kind of depressed. So I wanted to go back to school and get my degree in exercise physiology and exercise psychology. And so while I was doing that, I was working in a long-term care facility with a lot of dementia patients and Alzheimer's patients, and so I'd spent a ton of time with them. And then my mother was doing essentially the same thing. She was a nurse instructor in... Um, at the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota, for many years, like 20 years while I was going to school. And um, and then her mother had some kind of dementia, not sure if it was Alzheimer's or whatever, and my mother was caring for people with all kinds of dementia because she just felt a kinship with her mother. And um, And then, I don't know when it was really that she started showing signs, but probably kind of earlier than most people. She wasn't like 50, but I do know she was 65 or 70, and that's pretty young really for somebody with super healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, I I really didn't intend to write a book about, you know, taking care of a loved one of Alzheimer's, but as I wrote that book, that that piece of that came out stronger and stronger, and I realized that I was kind of working through some of the things about what it's like to lose your memory and who that makes you. Like if you're losing your memory, do you still get to be that person? And what happens when, you know, what happens in life when you start to lose the people that you love? And some of it could be because they leave you or some of it could be because um, they're annoying and you leave them or some of it could be that they lose themselves to illness. And um, that's kind of where the theme of this story lies, this idea of what happens when you are annoyed and or the people that you love um, change and what happens when you don't want them around anymore and then what happens when you actually want them back. Um, and whether those questions and those relationships are good for you or not good for you. So it's pseudo, it, it sounds very complicated when I'm trying to describe it, but 
I think life is very, very complicated. Um, well, and uh, I think it's the I'd kind like of book too. That. Yeah, and I think it's the kind of book too where people get what they what they need or want out of it as well as 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 you're reading it. It seems like you can. There's bits and pieces of just about everything in there that you could. Yeah. I mean, I know it gave me a laugh out loud moment right off the bat. I'm like, oh, I can't. You know, yes. that had to be. Yes. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, um, I, and I think probably a lot of people who read this book wonder this: how much of it, is, and how much are you willing to admit, is it your own story? Or is, I know people, authors take bits and pieces of their own life and put it into books and stuff, but how much yeah. of it really is your own world in there, disguised well, as different characters and stuff? Yeah, I mean that's kind of a good question, and I, I sometimes I can't even answer that myself. I mean, when I was um, the woman in the story, uh, Hallie, really isn't my mother. Like she, I just completely invented a different kind of woman. Um, like it, my mother wasn't really like that woman. But yeah. um, and I certainly have, you know, had people in my life who I find super annoying, and that I like them sort of more in theory than in practice, for sure. And but I never had any postpartum depression or anything like that. I certainly try not to give too much advice on fairness. However, I have railed against the unfairnesses of life. So I think it's really hard in a book of like women's fiction to kind of tease out what is actually part of your life and then what is it that you're just interpreting from the history of your life. Right. If that makes sense. No, it does. So, yeah, and I think that was my question. Yeah. I'm like, which character are you? You know, and and I yeah. think that's a really good answer for people, so that they know, you know, you're a mixture of probably all of them. I probably am. I am probably a mixture of all of them. And you know, like I which never boyfriend is in there though. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that's funny. That is kind of funny because there is a guy I didn't date him, but he's a really good friend of mine that was the model for Pete. And he knows it. Like, he knows it. I've, and for years, like, I've been telling him, that book's going to be coming out pretty soon, so get ready. And, um, yeah, and he laughs because he yeah. just thinks it's really funny because he sort of moved beyond the Peter Pan business of his life. And yeah. uh, he's married and has children and settled down. He's, but he certainly recognized that. And we had long conversations about that when we were in graduate school together. So he certainly was the model for that. Which is unusual for me. I don't usually have someone solidly in my mind who I am, um, who I am putting in those spots. The other thing is, is that you know when you're a nurse, you meet hundreds of people, and those people sort of end up chopped up and put in. So like the the Newman Harmeyer was definitely a several different people that I've met. And, you know, they could be physicians or they could be difficult patients or whatever. And as a professor, you know, is teaching at a university, you meet thousands of students. And so those students, some of them show up and, and um, I don't think I even realize sometimes when I put them in the book and then someone will say, is that my story about X, Y, Z? And I'll think, Oh, I don't know if it is. I didn't do it on purpose, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, a lot what's of your this... real life like? I know you have gorgeous. I, oh, I'm in awe of how beautiful your daughters are, and oh. all that they're achieving. I mean, 
that's it's not easy raising children, is it? I know I've got four of I got four oh. boys of my own, and we were talking about this the other day. Um, it's a wow, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is a lot. Um, I have to stop and think. Okay, what is my priority here? What can be, you know, what do I want to actually do? What do I want to hold back from? And I have to make really clear decisions about those kinds of things. Whereas when I was younger, I would sort of float on the whatever came in front of me probably got my attention. But now I make much clearer decisions about what I want to spend my time on and how I want to move forward. I don't always do a good job about it. Like when I write in my blog, I write about health. And and I freely admit that there are times when I've completely burned myself out. And um, so my life, what is my life like? It's uh, I always say that I ha- if you visualize a pillowcase or one of those gigantic sleeping bags and the tiny little snug sacks that you have to stick your sleeping bag into, I think that's my life. Like you have to really get control of that big sleeping bag and shove it into that snug sack and every little inch is taken up and I feel like that's my life. Like I, I don't let anything sort of go by the wayside. Like I spend a lot of time doing the things that I want to do. But on that, the other piece of that is that I feel very strongly about health. And so I do not skimp on sleep. I am pretty careful about what I eat. I make sure that I exercise every day. Like I am that, and I, I have to make those very clear decisions because when you're teaching health as your degree and your profession, you can't not walk the walk. Like it would show. So so I'm that makes sense. I know I've I've had those yeah. discussions with myself too. As I feel like right now I've got like probably fifteen twenty pounds on me, and I'm like, where'd this come from? All of a sudden, at forty seven years right. old, I've changed the thing. I'm still exercising, eating. I'm like, I know where this came from because like, I'm almost fifty. I'm gonna have to ratchet down something and ratchet you. up something to keep yeah. going. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Crazy. I, you know, I find that to be a larger challenge as I age for sure. I notice that. You know, things that I could have, you know, been forgiven of before are not forgiven anymore. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> so, I noticed. It's like, yeah, where is, really, what does that yeah. sound from? I didn't even, I've always eaten that or whatever. It's, it's wild. Know. You <laughs> must be the best professor ever. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Know. Are you are you a mean professor, a nice professor? What do people, well, <laughs> you, know, you know, some people are funny. afraid of professors. Like, that's a really hard class. Or what do you teach? Tell me about being a professor. That's cool. I teach nutrition and stress management, and I teach research methods and a class called Global Health. And I think that I'm – I think you either really love me or you really dislike me. And you dislike me if you aren't following – if you're not paying attention to what I'm saying and following the syllabus. Because I don't really have time to repeat stuff. And I get mad about it. Like I sort of am saying, look, I'm doing my job here. I'm teaching you. I'm here doing it. Now pay attention and don't send me an email. And some students are really into that. Like they're really okay. You can treat them like adults. They like to be talked to in a straight manner. And then there are other people that need a little bit more hand-holding, and I'm not not the teacher for that. Like I don't hold hands. um, But I figure it's college and their jobs. Their employees, employers are not going to be holding their hands. So I know, I'm I feel so like, glad you just said that. 
Sorry to interrupt you. I did. No, no, it's fine. I, I can hardly contain my my enthusiasm for this topic, though. <laughs> Sorry, keep yeah. going. <laughs> I know, right? It's so true. And um, yeah. I just figure I'm not doing them any service by making it easier on them. And um, sometimes, you know, there are students that really, really don't like that. And, so you're a grow-up here, a grow-up professor. Yeah, you know, I've got yeah. a. I'll, I'll share this with you. I've got a, a 16-year-old kiddo who's a straight-A guy. I mean, he just is mm-hmm. what he is. He's a straight-A guy. And, and he doesn't need a lot of hand-holding, but every once in a while there's a topic or, or a class where it's like, whoa, I need some help with this. And mm-hmm. um, he is getting a dose of a professor who is like, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> or a teacher or whatever you call it in high school. Not probably, yeah. I don't know if it's a professor, right. but a, a teacher who is like, you're on your own. And so it's the first time where I've seen my kids scramble a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, than normal. And he got a tutor on his own. Oh, good. That's tutor, The tutor center, the study. Right. I mean, every every opportunity to get help other than whining, complaining, <laughs> emailing, <Right>. writing, <laughs> you know, all those right. things. But yeah. it's been a lesson for all of us in not doing that, too. Yes, it is. I mean, and I, um, it's funny because my daughter's in college now. And because of that, I have both more sympathy for my students and less. It just huh. is in a different way now. Like I notice, so like I'll, I'll, I'll run things by my student. I'll be, my, my daughter, I'll be like, is this fair? Is, am I being mean? What do you think? And then she'll give me feedback. And that helps me. The, the difference is, or the problem is, is that she was raised by me. So Chances are she's going to have a yeah. very similar way of thinking, right? And she's not going to want to shoot, like, take no prisoners either. But I, um, you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's, students are changing. Um, I think that my um, patience is different too. So it's an evolution. I still, I'm, I reinvent myself as a teacher all the time because of it. And uh, it's fun and I really like it. Um, but sometimes I get a little tired. So I'm luckily taking a break for the summer a little bit, and that's kind of nice. Yeah, and, and so tell me, this probably gets con- – I wonder if this gets confusing for you ever. You could probably be an English professor and teach people how to write books and creative writing, and are you pulled well, down that trail too? Well, yeah, I teach um, – I am in uh, Southern New Hampshire University, and I teach – I'm an adjunct professor there – in their Masters of Fine Arts program. So I do teach uh, creative writing there. And then I just started my own program called The Fifth Semester. And uh, it's modeled on both the MFA program and a conference program. So you get a little bit of two things. You get two residencies where we live and work together for three or four nights in a mansion in Chicago on the first residency. Then you get six months or four months of one-on-one residency or one-on-one mentorship with me and one other professor, and we work on everybody's manuscripts. We work on your goals. We work on your query. We work on who you're going to pitch to and all of those things. And then the final residency is in a mansion in New York City, and that's when we bring agents and editors in to have real conversations about what it really takes to publish. So I just launched that program probably in the last, months and uh, our classes are filling up for um, for that for the fifth semester and we're pretty excited about that because I really like to be able to kind of 
do the education process in the way that I think is the fairest and most exciting and the best way without charging people an arm and a leg to do it, especially when people don't necessarily want a master's degree. They just want to know how to publish. And they want continued support while they try to do it rather than with a conference where you just go for a few days and then you leave and then you walk away really motivated but not knowing what to do next. We're hoping that we can, you know, usurp that and help that a little bit. It's it's, um, not at all easy writing a book and my, I think my I think one of my biggest struggles with writing my book was the flow of it. And yeah. I know when I submitted when I submitted my book to Hay House, um, it was done. I, I I thought it was done. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, yeah, of course. You know, you're being the writer. You're like, okay, this is done, and no one's going to touch right. it. It's perfect. And they were like, oh man, have we got news for you? Rewrite yeah. and rewrite and re. It went through yeah. two restructures, a rewrite. I mean, it was insane. Um, and the book was delayed by six months coming out because of, you know, me not knowing what to do exactly. And sure. um, it's interesting, but they made it yes. a yes. better book. The way they yes. it. Now it's like, yeah. oh, I get it. But you got to learn to have that, oh, I get it moment. Um, you do, yep. Do you see that I, in yourself um, from your first oh. book to this one? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, for heaven's sake, yes. I... Um, I, the first one I read, I wrote, definitely was me sort of blindly trying to figure out how to do it. And so as a function of that, I had to do a lot of rewrites, way more rewrites than I've ever had to do in any other book. And and that was fine for me. Like, I don't mind rewrites. And in fact, it's like you say, the book is getting better and better and better. So it seems like kind of an awesome thing to be able to do. You're almost like going to college on your book, which I love. And then once I figured out a little bit more about, you know, how to create that flow, how to make that plot move forward, how to create more luscious sentences or more emotional sentences, that whole process feels less daunting now. And um, I still I still revive like crazy. And I, I could never put a book a year out like some people do. But um, no, but it is a it. little bit, yeah. It's a much smoother process now, which yeah, especially is so great for this, this. This was time consuming, beyond time consuming, yeah. and the whole family had to really understand what was going on. But I do remember being in the middle of the floor, and I'm, I'm not a computer writer. I'm more of like a write in crayons, markers, pencils on paper, and type oh. in kind of human being. So, uh-huh. oh, it's annoying, but that's the way my brain goes. But I do right. remember having the book, the book actually printed out on paper, all 55,000 words of it, and they're going, um, you need to restructure this. And I remember sitting in the, in the middle of the floor with paper everywhere. Yes. And finding, yeah. like, where each page went <laughs> now to restructure the book, and it was wild. My whole office was like there's paper all over the floor kind of moment. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like that writing books. And, um, yeah. You, it's it's interesting. They, I think my my um, my goal was to get the get the book to the point where I wouldn't want to change a word, or yeah, I would buy it myself. Like, would you walk into the store and buy your own book if it was there? Right. Yes. That's, would you? That's. Uh, would I now? I. 
You know, I think I would. I love the, I think that um, Tyrus books did a really gorgeous job with the cover and that they let me keep my title, which is the first time a publisher has let me keep my title. Um, so I think that this book is probably the best representation of me um, that of any book that I've written. So I'd like to hope that I would look at it and go, oh my gosh, this is hilarious cover. I love this. And then be surprised by that. It is funny, but it's also more complex and funny. Um, and and uh, I really like that. Like for me, the book, I, my favorite authors are the authors that can um, put humor and um, emotion, sadness together. Uh, and some people have done it in such a beautiful way that, like Annie Lamott, I'm not Annie Lamott. She is of her own species, in my <laughs> opinion. But yeah. I love how she puts funny and sad and funny and true together. And boy, if I can ever do that, that's my goal. So. Um, now, was this a goal of yours, like, go back to kindergarten or preschool or something, you know, like that? Where, did you know you were going to write books, or what did you think well, you were going to do then? That's such an awesome question. So I was a kid that didn't know what they wanted to do, and I, I remember saying to my mom, like, Mom, how am I going to find a job when all I like to do is shop? You know, like, I <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea like, yeah, what I ever in the world I was ever going to do. I was a really social kid. I wasn't okay, really sorry, interested in academics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. Okay. Yeah. If so, I giggle again, that's why it's the shopping remark. Oh, yeah. So I, <laughs> I remember being like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And so um, – when I was little, I had a book, like a, you know, sort of like a, you know, before it was a big deal to have those clean, empty books and a journal or something. And I re- remember writing that one of my dreams was to write a book, but I really wrote that thinking, that's never going to happen. Why are you even writing that down? Like, I remember thinking, you're not a writer. Why are you doing that? And so I would say I always admired writers. I always wanted to be one, but it never, ever occurred to me that I would be one. I, I didn't have any stories. I didn't know how to write a story. My stories were, you know, short verbal things that could make people laugh, but that would be the end of it. And and I never wrote them down. So I only found out really late in life that I could actually sustain a story for several pages after I started writing um, a short story. And then once I won a contest for a short story, I started to realize, oh, this is how you do it. And then I just sort of puzzled out how to write a novel. Um, and then I found, you know, as much help as I could possibly get. I talked to everybody. I took classes. I went to conferences. I listened. I revised. And then I sort of figured it out from there. But I, I, I'm not one of, like, whenever I read other authors and they say, I always knew I wanted to be an author or I've been writing since I was – you know, four years old, I was like, mm, that's not me. I was telling jokes at that age, but I wasn't, <laughs> I said, you know, I was screwing around in class at that age, but I certainly was not writing it down. Yeah. So I knew, like I knew from a very young age, accident. I would never be an artist. Never, I'd never be an ever, artist. Ever, ever, ever. They, in second grade, they would give you those, um, you know the piece of paper that was lined and then had the open part at the top yeah. where you could draw the yeah. picture yeah. that went with what you wrote? You know, yeah. I'd be writing stories, stories, stories. You know, I could write anything. But then no matter what the story was, the only thing I could draw was like the boxed house 
with the tree and the flower and the grass. <laughs> I'm so terrible oh, at it. So funny. <laughs> to this day, my kids are like, now don't draw. Oh. <laughs> I knew oh, what I was so never going to be at a very early yeah. age. I'm like, no matter how hard I work at this, that is never going to change, I bet. And right, it's true. Right. Some people, yeah. just, whatever portion of that brain is, it's off. Um, right. <laughs> that's funny. All right. So we've got about two minutes left. Um, oh. Yeah, unless you want to go longer. I, we can certainly go, go longer. I can have you back. Um, that half hour has flown by. Um, you're on Twitter, which is really cool. We talked about that. At the beginning yep. of the show, you're at A N N G A R V I N, and then there's an underscore at the underscore. At. Yeah. And then you're you're on Facebook, but it sounds like you like Twitter a little better than Facebook, or you on both? Well, I kind of like both. I mean, they're just different, aren't they? I mean, the yeah. I can do some really funny pictures and things like that, but Facebook feels a little bit more like it has more gravity to it now. Like I don't feel like I can write very much on that, like one post a day or something like that. And you, otherwise it's too much in your feed and I'm afraid that people will get sick of me. So I, the thing that I like about Twitter is that I can just do whatever I want on it for the most part. So um, yeah, we're going to go a couple that. more minutes here. So we're not rushed um, for anybody okay. who's listening live. You might have to come back and uh, replay the show at the end to kind of listen up here. Cause it might cut off. I'm not positive. Um, sometimes okay. it does, sometimes it doesn't. But we're gonna we're okay. gonna finish strong here so that we're not rushed. Um, okay. So I like you just find when you're not around. It's available mm-hmm. wherever books are sold. And yep. uh, tell us. I know we've talked about just about everything but the book, but sometimes that's kind of cool <laughs> because people love to hear. You know, people are like, "Yeah, I'll read the book," but I want to know about the author. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the book. What What's the book about? The book is of about. The book is about a frazzled therapist. Um, she's a psychologist who is taking care of her mother in her home, and um, and her boyfriend wants her to leave and go on sabbatical with him. And uh, so what that means is that she has to place her mother into a home, and it's time for that. She's injured herself, and she needs to go there. But my character just does not feel good about it. She feels guilty about it. She doesn't want to do it. And she's feeling a little bit rushed from her boyfriend. So that sets up the stage for um, several things to come. She blows up her job. She, her older sister comes home to ostensibly to help, but in fact brings a huge package of problems with her. Uh, and then Tig gets a radio show so that she can be the arbiter of fairness. Like she really wants life to be fair. And so she takes a radio show where she is going to help people figure out what's fair and what's not fair in life. And whenever you try to do that, I feel like that is going to be nothing but trouble for you. And in fact, it is nothing but trouble for her. The world is not as black and white as she would like it to be. And she gets her. And that's the point where I'm at in the book. I'm right there where she's just about thinking of mulling over whether she's going to do the radio show or not. And I'm right. I'm right there with you at that point. So oh, okay. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes from, from there. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm then, like, no, then, don't do yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> You're screaming at the book going, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no, that's going to be trouble. And she <laughs> also, there is there's sort of a mystery that runs through the book um, that you're not even aware is a mystery until you kind of move into the book a little bit. And uh, um, you want, somehow or another, she's going to have to come to grips with that mystery. She's going to be faced with solving the mystery, but she can't ask her mother because her mother has Alzheimer's and the secrets are hidden inside her mother's history. So there's that piece too that um, sort of adds a little bit more depth. 
to so, it. And I that sort of comes from, you know, like I've noticed now that even though my mother and I were very, very close, such good friends, there was a lot of things I didn't ask her. And um, I, I kind of wish I could go back and ask her some of those questions now. My mom always says that. My mom's mm-hmm. getting to like 70-ish and she's like, ask me everything now. There may get to a point where, you know, you can't ask me anymore. I'm like, oh, I know. Man, let me get the list going here. I know it's a lot of pressure. It's hard to know. And, you don't know what you're going to want mom, to know. Ha- her mom had Alzheimer's. My grandma had Alzheimer's, and oh. there was a point where, um, yeah, you, we had to put her in a home because she was doing the same things. Where you know, yes. Alzheimer's is serious, and um, right. she didn't know where she was, and she was going to hurt herself and all that stuff. But yes. it's interesting oh. when when she was in this facility, which you know everybody visited her every day, and you know it was it wasn't like we just left her or anything uh-huh. like that. She all of her wrinkles went away. Her hair oh. grew in super, super soft, like there was no stress at all. Oh. And she was always in the choir for many, many, many years. At her funeral, the whole church choir um, sang at her funeral, oh, for example. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. And she would sing in the facility. Um, and she was like this almost like opera singer and stuff. So people thought she lost oh. it. And were like, no, listen to her sing. It's, she can she actually can sing, and people are amazed. That was one of the things that she remembered um, more than anything. Oh, church hymns and things. Isn't that wild? Oh my gosh! Yes, and beautiful. They do return, I think, often to their sort of true selves in some ways. And um, yeah. and you know, it's I've lost my mom, at least the mom that I remember, but I haven't lost her entirely. She's still in there, and uh, there are. Uh, you know, I still see so much of her in herself even now. Um, it's uh, it's kind of a heartbreak all the way around. I think what I like, though, is in your book, you're not, you don't come off as mad or angry. I think you come off as, like, beautifully witty and completely mm-hmm. sensitive. And I think one of the reasons why I asked, like, what part of you was this is because it's all so real. It didn't feel like you were sitting behind your computer really making up stuff. Oh, well, yeah, um, people will say that if um, if you read one of my books, it's like sitting next to me and chatting. Um, yeah. Because my voice is so strong in the book, yeah. I always think that if you're reading an Ann Garvin book, you know it's an Ann Garvin book. Like, I, I don't, it's like, you know how Meryl Streep sort of dissolves into her characters? Um, yeah, no matter what. Julia, yeah, and Julia Roberts sort of floats on top, I'm, I'm more like Julia Roberts. I float on top. I <laughs> I don't necessarily dissolve into my characters. Like you can yeah. see me, I'm there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. it's wonderful to get to know you better. Is there anything I I didn't ask you that you want to make sure and mention before we before we go so I don't um, keep you here all day cuz we could really talk to you all day. I know I could <laughs> talk all day. Well, I I would say one thing, and that is just that if anybody is looking for books to read, they should go to the Tall Poppy Writers um, website, and it's um, tallpoppies.org. And we are a group of women that all support each other to get our voices heard in the, you know, in the crazy world of um, writing and publishing. And um, we all banded together because singularly it's hard to get your voice out into the world, but especially since male authors have so many of the ears of the people that the influencers that make the difference, the reviewers, et cetera. And so we are all together and we have a website and we list all of our books. And um, I think you could probably stay busy for 
two years just reading our books alone. So um, that would be the only thing I would like to give a little bit of a plug for because those women are amazing women. And can you spell the website for us too, just in case sure. people didn't quite catch it? Yep, it's Tall Poppies, like the flower, tallpoppies.org. So T A L L P O P P I E S dot org. Okay, and I'll put a link to that at the bottom of the show too. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, it was great yeah. getting to know you, and you um, wonderful. Congratulations on your book. Thank and you. I'm Thank sure you. we'll talk again. And, yeah. Um, everybody. Anytime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us today. And that was just a wonderful conversation with author Anne Garvin. And her book is I Like You Just Fine When You're Not Around. And I wanted to mention, too, before we go, that Anne does have a couple other books as well. Um, She has On Maggie's Watch and The Dog Year. And you can find her on Twitter at Anne Garvin underscore at the end of that. And I just thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Anne, so much for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. It was lovely to talk to you. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Best Ever You Network. For more information, just visit us at besteveryou.com. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.